Hello, my name is Paolo Diorio. I would like to present three new scholar editions of Friedrich Nietzsche's work. The electronic version of the standard critical edition, the digital facsimile edition of the entire Nietzsche estate, and the new digital genetic edition. The first two are well advanced and consistent parts of them are already available online. The genetic edition, instead, is still a work in progress. However, I will be able to present you with an overview of our philological criteria and a preview of some of its sections. Let's start with the critical edition. A Spanish blog wrote that we corrected the errors of the standard critical edition using the manuscript. This is not true. In order to realize this edition, we didn't read the manuscripts, we only tried to read the critical edition carefully and to reproduce it in the best way possible. As you know, the standard German critical edition was established by two Italian scholars, Giorgio Colli and Mazzino Montinari, therefore it is called the Colli-Montinari edition, and it was published in Berlin by De Greuter in three different versions two printed versions and one electronic version. The first edition is the Kritische Gesamtausgabe, that is the complete collected works in hardcover edition. The second edition is the Kritische Studienausgabe, that is the philosophical works in paperback edition. The third edition is an electronic edition published previously as a CD-ROM and now available as an electronic database. In order to realize our electronic edition, we first consider the uses and the disadvantages of each different version. The hardcover edition is of course the most complete version of the Colli-Montinari edition. The problem with this edition is that it contains a lot of errors, either typographical errors or real errors in the transcription of the manuscripts. Most of them have been discovered and corrected. The corrections are published in long lists in the commentary volumes, the so-called critical apparatus. Unfortunately, for editorial and commercial reasons, the text volumes have not subsequently been updated. As a result, the text of the hardcover edition does not fully reflect the philological state of the heart. To give you an idea, in the text of the hardcover edition of the works, only in the works, not considering the later editions, there are about 4,600 errors. Clearly, you really cannot work with a hardcover edition without integrating the text with the list of corrections contained in the commentary volumes. What about the Studienausgabe, the paperback edition? Although the paperback edition claims to offer a text that is identical to the hardcover edition, this is not true, for good and for bad reasons. The good reason is that the paperback edition actually updated its text, taking into account the corrections. So in principle, you don't need to look into the philological commentary of the hardcover edition to know which is the correct text. But, and here come the bad reasons, if you look more closely, you will see that the paperback edition integrated only a very small number of the corrections indicated by the hardcover edition and that, unfortunately, in introduced its own errors. In conclusion, 
If you use a paperback edition, you must be aware that there are still surely more than 4,500 passages containing errors. Therefore, I don't think we can use the paperback edition as a reliable text for philosophical interpretations or for translations into other languages. The first volumes of the very recent Spanish translation of Nietzsche's work were heavily criticized because, amongst other reasons, they were based on the text of the paperback edition. However, prestigious English translations also seem to be based on the paperback edition. This is the case with the first volumes of the Stanford edition, but it is also the case with the a very recent Nietzsche anthology, published in the collection Cambridge Text in the History of Philosophy, containing writings from the early notebooks. On page 31, you will find the sentence, tragic knowledge, even in relation to the primal single being, is indeed only a representation, an image, a delusion. Now, if you look into the philological commentary of the German edition, you will see that Nietzsche actually wrote Ur einen Waren, the truth of the primordial one, and not Ur einen Wesen, the being of the primordial one. In fact, also from a philosophical point of view, in this passage Nietzsche establishes an opposition between the truth of the primordial one and the delusion of the tragic knowledge. The third version of the Collimontinari edition is the digital one. Published on CD-ROM in 1994 by De Greuter, it is now available by subscription as an electronic database in the collection Past Masters of Interlex Corporation. This electronic edition is based on the paperback edition and therefore inherits all of its shortcomings. Furthermore, this edition introduces a number of new errors as shown in this table referring to only one group of fragments. As you see, there are errors on almost every page. This is a common problem with electronic editions produced using OCR technologies, and it is particularly frustrating because it is impossible to search and retrieve words that aren't spelled properly. Now, back to our edition. It aims to provide the most correct version of the Colli Montinari edition. It is, of course, based on the complete works, the hardcover edition. But compared to the hardcover edition, it directly integrates in the text all of the philological corrections that are scattered throughout the commentary volumes. To date, it is the only edition that has achieved this task. Compared to the past master electronic edition, our edition retains all its advantages in terms of search functionalities, while trying to avoid its shortcomings in terms of quality of text. To this end, our philologist carried out a long, meticulous and hopefully successful text collections work, comparing each word of the digitized text with the printed edition. Now, let's see how you can read, quote and search our edition. When you read our clickable edition on screen, all corrected passages are highlighted and with the click of a mouse, readers can see the previous and corrected passages with a print version. Let's see, for example, how the passage about Ur Einen Waren is published in our edition. The corrected version Waren is integrated in the text and the 
uncorrected version VZEN is accessible in the overbox. What about quoting our edition? A specific digital classification system provides each work, chapter, aphorism or fragment with a unique and stable internet address. The identifiers used in the internet addresses correspond to the standard abbreviation established by the Colli-Montinari edition. In this way, our electronic edition can be easily quoted in academic research. Concerning search, the digital critical edition features all standard search functions. For example, you can search the word Geist, mind, and retrieve all the occurrences of this word in Nietzsche's text. The list of occurrences can be easily printed with different levels of detail. The advanced search allows us, for example, to search for passages where two or more terms appear and also to restrict the search to one or more Nietzsche's work. Now, let's have a look to the publication plan of our edition. The philosophical works are already available on the web. The posthumous fragments are in the last stages of proving and they will be published in the Nietzsche Swords in November 2009. The letters will be published during the summer of 2010. In the following, we intend to publish some part of the commentary and then there will be also the possibility for scholars to send their own remarks and philosophical papers. Just one more thing. I didn't speak about money, but by now you have already understood that Nietzsche's source aims to make the best scholarship available to scholars all over the world free of charge. It was financed by public funds. The public should have free access to it. The electronic version of the Colli-Montinari edition was financed by the European Commission within the framework of the European Project Discovery, which I have directed over the last three years. Discovery published online not only Nietzsche, but several philosophical texts like the pre-Socratic corpora, all texts about Socrates and the Socratics, the life of philosophers of Laertius, some modern authors like Vico, Kant, Descartes, 5,000 pages of Wittgenstein notebooks, and even 300 video interviews with contemporary philosophers. <laughs>
that is the original manuscript and the first editions of the work printed by the author himself. All of the discussions surrounding the philological legitimacy of the will to power, a book that Nietzsche never wrote, were able to flourish because the manuscripts were stored in the safe of the Nietzsche archive in Weimar and nobody was allowed to see them. Therefore, I think that Nietzsche scholars need a facsimile edition of the complete Nietzsche estate. The first scholarly facsimile edition of a Nietzsche manuscript was published by Montinari and Karl Heinz Hahn in 1985. It contains the facsimile reproduction of Eke Homo, Nietzsche's autobiography, including a transcription and a commentary. The second facsimile edition came more recently in form of CD-ROMs sold with the ninth sections of the Colli Montinari edition. It includes a choice of 25 manuscripts from the period 84-88, consisting of about 3,000 pages. 15 notebooks have already been published. I will show you an example of this beautiful edition. The digital facsimile edition published by Nietzsche Source aims to provide for the first time a digital reproduction of the complete Nietzsche estate including first edition of works, manuscripts, letters and biographical documents, totaling about 60,000 pages. At present, 30,000 pages have been digitized and about 8,000 have already been published in Nietzsche source. The digital facsimile edition has been made possible by an agreement between the Foundation of Weimar Classics and Nietzsche source, allowing the free publication of the internet for all non-commercial usage. Readers are provided with high-resolution color facsimiles and are encouraged to freely browse, download and share all the materials available. Let's consult the proofs of Eke Homo, one of the last documents Nietzsche read in Turin. The facsimile edition relies on a digital classification system providing each page with a unique and stable internet address. The identifiers used in the URLs correspond to the standard abbreviation used by Scholar so that our edition can be easily quoted in academic research. The Alexander von Humboldt Foundation, granting me the Sofia Kowalewskaya Award, financed the first part of this edition. This allowed me to work in Germany for several years and to form a research group at the University of Munich, which was involved also in the third digital edition I would present today the new digital genetic edition. The best way to introduce what our genetic edition would be is to read a letter from Montinari to Colli written during his second stay in Weimar in August 1965. The two friends have already decided to embark on a new, complete edition of Nietzsche's work. They didn't have a German publisher, they didn't have any money, they only had some good ideas. In this letter, Montinari describes his work and explains how he would like to realize the new Nietzsche edition. He writes, One thing, however, seems certain. The manuscripts should be completely deciphered and transcribed and studied as a group, as an individual manuscript, as an individual page in many cases, and then put in chronological order. For example, yesterday I carefully examined the results of the page-by-page -page transcription of a manuscript of Daybreak, 
which is the title of the Nietzsche's book under investigation at time. I drew a sort of diagram of all the offerings in daybreak following their appearance in the different manuscripts. Two things came out of this, which are basically two sides of the same coin. That is, the genesis of daybreak and the exact chronology of each manuscript. An understanding deepened by the reading and transcription of all the material might give even more precise philological results. And if that is important for the posthuman writings of a work published by Nietzsche himself, it is even more important for the vast number of manuscripts which were not used. By reading and transcribing all the materials which show us how a thought develops from notepad to notebook and from that notebook to another notebook, the chronology, or even better the succession, can thus be obtained by internal criteria. So far, none of that has been done. Well, since then, we have tried to do it. But before I explain how we did it, let's briefly recall what has happened in the last 50 years. By comparing this letter with the 40 volumes of the hardcover edition, we get the impression that Montinari surely could have attained this deeper understanding of the development of Nietzsche's thought, but that he was not able to represent it in his edition. The Colli Montinari edition is not a genetic edition, indeed, and it does not even publish a page-by-page -page transcription of all manuscripts. Montinari would probably have needed more than 40 volumes to publish the genetic edition he dreamed of. But for Ditorian commercial reasons, he was invited, on the contrary, to reduce the number of volumes. Therefore, he introduced the distinctions between Vorstufen and Fragmente, that is, between preliminary stages of text and posthumous fragments. This is the principal philological problem of the Colli-Montinari edition, as Wolfram Grodeck demonstrated some years ago in one of his important articles. The very problematic distinction between Forstufen and Fragmente allows for the publication of two texts which Nietzsche wrote side by side on the same page in two very different parts of the edition one in the text part as a posthuman fragment, and the other in the commentary part as a preparatory stage of an aphorism. After Montinari's death, the philologists in charge of the edition, particularly Marie-Louise Hase and Michael Kohlenbach, attempt to solve this problem. The solution they chose was to create a new section of their hardcovers edition, section 9, in which a choice of 25 manuscripts dating from 84 to 1888 will be republished in a diplomatic transcription. Section 9 represents a big step forward because now, as you can see, we are able to read all of what Nietzsche wrote page by page, line by line, thus abandoning the distinction between Forsthofen and Fragmente. This is the principal advantage of this section. The principal disadvantage is that these volumes, which are part of a critical edition, actually contain only a diplomatic edition and don't provide any critical text. Besides, it is strange that this new section makes such limited use of the two major innovations introduced in the field of editorial theory in the last 30 years. 
that is, digital technologies and the methods of genetic criticism, which was, were developed in France by the Critique Genetique and also appeared in Germany with several beautiful examples like Grodek's edition of Dionysius Lithiramus. Some years ago, I told myself that it was worth trying to realize a genetic edition of Nietzsche's work. In my opinion, to show how a thought develops from a notebook to another could have been of interest not only from a philological point of view, but also for philosophical interpretation. Thanks to the Humboldt financing, and especially to a project directed by Professor Günther Abel in Berlin and myself, and financed by the German Research Foundation, we prepared the genetic edition of two Nietzsche's works, The Wonder and the Shadow and The Daybreak, including all related manuscripts. I will give you a short overview of the criteria we are following. The general aim of our digital genetic edition is to publish all documents belonging to the Nietzsche state in a way to represent the genesis of Nietzsche's writing projects and to reconstruct the development of his thought. There are three aspects in which our genetic edition differs from a standard critical or diplomatic edition. The transcriptions, the relationships between textual units and the arrangement of documents type. Critical editions usually establish the text of the last writing stage. Printed diplomatic editions reproduce all of the writing stages, but often the reader experiences difficulties distinguishing the different writing levels. Our digital genetic transcriptions separate each writing level present on the page and then produce a diplomatic and a linear version of each. To realize that, once the manuscript had been deciphered, our philologists encoded them in a specific text encoding language we created, the genetic markup language. From the encoded text, the system will automatically generate a diplomatic and a linear transcription for each writing level. Colors can also be used to distinguish the different writing levels. I would like to stress that the linear version is not only a transcription, but a real critical establishment of the text that includes all the modifications that an editor had deemed necessary. In this way, our edition discovers and publishes significant variants or true unpublished Nietzsche's texts. Furthermore, the reader will also be able to search words present in only one writing level. For example, in the cases where Nietzsche wrote a word or a name and then deleted or modified it, our search engine will be able to retrieve the word from the genetic transcription. Now let's consider the second aspect in which our digital genetic edition differs from a standard critical or diplomatic edition, that is the position of textual units. In a diplomatic edition, the order of units is topographic. You browse the document following the order of the pages. In a critical edition, the textual units are usually put in chronological order. In our genetic edition, by contrast, the main navigation system is formed by genetic paths. 
because we consider that the genetic relationships between textual units could be more significant, also from a philosophical point of view, than the topological or chronological ones. If the reader selects a textual unit, the electronic system will automatically display all other textual units that are genetically related to it, being them preparatory stages or further developments. The reader can follow the path displaying the facsimile and the transcription of each text unit and also print the whole path for analyzing it calmly on his desk. From the paths established by scholars, Mitchell Source is able to generate automatically a diagram that indicates graphically all the paths that pass through a given piece of material, whether it be an aphorism, a manuscript note, or a whole notebook. Finally, concerning the general division of the material, our genetic edition will be organized using the notion of genetic dossier. As you know, traditional editions use the arrangement based on document types. The letters edition on the one side, the works on the other side, on a third shelf the posthumous fragments, the biographical documents, and so forth. We find it more appropriate to gather together all of the documents concerning what we call a writing project. That is, the preparatory manuscript of the work, the manuscript for the printer, the corrected proofs, the author's letter containing instructions to the publisher, the books the author consulted or annotated, as well as the biographical documents like contracts and invoices. All that will be contained in a unique genetic dossier and the whole edition will be formed by a collection of genetic dossiers. As a conclusion, I would like to say that, in my opinion, one of the most important results of our work in the last years has been the agreement with the Classing Foundation of Weimar. Usually, German archives, but not only German ones, charge reproduction fees, which in the case of an internet publication amount to about 100 euros per page. Reproducing the Nietzsche state would have cost almost 6 million euros. And you would not have been allowed to freely download and reuse the facsimiles. Fortunately, the president of the foundation, who I would also like to thank in this occasion, supported the aims of our project. As you know, the existence of a, a Nietzsche Atlas dates from January the 19th, 1889. On that day, Davide Fino, Nietzsche landlord in Turin, sent to Franz Overk in Basel a 160kg chest containing Nietzsche's manuscripts. From Basel, the chest made its way to Naumburg, then to Weimar, where it was then moved from the Nietzsche archive to the Goethe-Schiller archive. I like to think that only now 120 years later, has the chest of manuscripts reached its true destination, free distribution on the internet. I'm quite sure that actually Davide Fino wrote as postal address www.nichesource.org. Because only on the internet is Nietzsche now really free, free from Elizabeth's falsifications, 
free from the Nietzsche archives and Nazi manipulations, free from reproduction fees, free from publishers' new form of copyright. Here, on the internet, Nietzsche belongs only to the community of his scholars. We are happy to have given him this freedom 